0: Welcome to Service Sharp. This is a podcast all about ServiceNow. We'll be talking strategy, architecture, technology, and everything ServiceNow. This podcast is not affiliated with ServiceNow. The opinions expressed are our own. We're just people that are very passionate about the platform. Join us for every episode.
1: Hi, this is Jason Gibson. Uh, we are back uh, with Service Sharp. I have, of course, Randy, Justin, and Brent with me, but I do have an additional guest today, uh, Kathy Sullivan. Uh, Kathy, would you introduce yourself a little bit?
2: Sure. I'm Kathy Sullivan. I have been working with ServiceNow for five years or so, and I am a specialist in the topic that we're going to be discussing tonight with CMDB.
1: Yes, yes. So we are going over CMDB the, this afternoon, um, and I'm going to give uh, Randy and Justin and Brent a little bit of
3: time here to say hi. Uh, Randy? I'm Randy Hawes. Uh, I am not an expert in CMDB, but I play one on TV. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Justin? Justin Klaasbel, I'm a developer. been working with the system for five, six years or so, and uh, I won't have a lot to say today because CMDB is a uh, not something i would say i'm heavily uh knowledgeable on. Uh,
1: okay and brent
4: uh brent peters been working with ServiceNow for about eight years now a uh, little bit of everything in service now including some cmdb stuff
1: okay all right guys well let's get started um the cmdb um, it stands for the Configuration Management Database, um, so that's got to be confusing to people. Um, so let's go right into it. What is CMDB?
2: Other than the Configuration Management Database? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What, what do I? What do I do it for? What is it? Um, you know, what is it good for?
2: A CMDB is a really good operational tool for your IT staff, really, to be able to have information in front of them that defines how their systems are configured. So, you can map out servers to databases and to firewalls and to switches and load balancers, and you can see all of that information in front of you. A CMDB is filled with what's called configuration items, or CIs, and it, is, it can be used to really determine whenever you have an outage what else is affected by that by using relational data.
1: Yeah, so the relationships is key, right? You have, you know, each piece related to the, the, the next piece. So you have uh, a server and a switch and the things are related. And one of the things that I find it most helpful for is incident and change. Incident being that you can map an incident or a problem to a specific configuration item, whether it's a server going down or something to that effect, that you actually can map to that. To make a record of that issue, right?
2: Correct. And in change management, it's really great because you can see where you'll have conflicts during a change window or a maintenance window so that you can order your work and know what needs to come first or what needs to come last so that if you're going to take down a switch that's going to affect all these other things, then Maybe do that last or not schedule them all at the same time. And so it's really great from a change perspective as well to be able to identify your conflicts.
1: Yeah. So conflicts are really important in trying to, to, to figure out um, the, the change management piece of that is extremely important for the stability of the, the system long term. Right. So less downs, less problems. But it also allows us to make intelligent business decisions uh, when we look at incidents or we look at changes and we, and we analyze the data. So we have 50 incidents of this one server going down in the last three months. Well, I think that's a problem. You know um, and and so it allows us to get kind of a a better view or a higher view of all the systems that you have, right. <laughs>
2: Right, because there's a lot of information depending on how you feed your, how you populate the data within your CMDB. There's a lot of information out there too that can be used from an operational standpoint. Say that one of your operating systems is going end of life. I saw this through multiple data centers with Windows 2003 that they had all of this stuff that needed to be switched over and the cmdb was a great way to be able to leverage that information so that you had an accurate assessment of what servers really needed to be transitioned onto a different operating system
3: wow that's great yeah i'm working i'm working with a company right now that (laughs) is dealing with end of life for software and um everything's in a spreadsheet and and um you know there's been multiple meetings just trying to find out who's in charge of each one of these servers so that we can even get a plan going for for doing the upgrade so it's a it's a huge deal to have that information available it's a huge time saver um, and, uh, and I think that um, it's really the key to getting the most out of service now you know you can have all the other modules individually and you always start with the individual modules but if you really want the power of having everything in one platform you kind of have to have it i think well and i think
1: brent if if you can kind of back me up here there are uh, lots of other ways that you can use that cmdb data in uh, uh, you know requests or, or other modules is there an example of where you've used it in the past that has been very helpful
4: um, yeah, if you think of it from an ITIL stamp standpoint, ITIL says that CMDB should be like your foundation and all the other ITIL processes go off of that. So you have your, or use that, I should say. So, um, like problem management's great service catalog. I've used it to automate some of the service catalog stuff, like you said, uh, for like assignment, um, um, one of the biggest one is uh, application enhancements. So somebody puts an application enhancement. Now this is the application. You can go to the configuration management database, find the support group, and that's the people that assign the ticket to most of the time. So it's good for some of that automation, but uh, just you know knowing where things are, what's connected, that kind of stuff
1: is great. Sure. Sure. And, and it's, and I know it can get really confusing for people. Uh, what is a CI, but, and, and what is an asset? And so uh, kind of to bring up a subject, that I think we're all understanding as an issue is understanding the difference between an asset and a CI. Uh, Kathy, could you explain that just a little bit?
2: Uh, sure. So in my world where i and in ITIL definitions, a a CI, a configuration item is something that you intend to configure in some way or another. It is, um, it it could be anything from like a network card to an IP address, or even up to a server, a desktop, a workstation, or anything like that. Whereas an asset is something that has some type of financial value to it. You want to track the, and there it is. I told you animals were going to be here. Here's a cat. Yes. <laughs> and she's going to step on my computer. Um, so anyway, an asset has some financial, some type of financial relevance to it. So you have a workstation. <coughs> you know how much your workstation's cost for various different positions and you track that information in a financial and you can be able to try and track you know when do we need to renew this when is it replaceable and that's how you you order the stuff there but those those same assets can also be a configuration item because that's that represents the work that's being done to it so while an asset tracks your financial piece to that asset it being a configuration item is where you track what's being done to that yeah. device as well.
1: So basically what I'm understanding is that, a, that a, an asset will always be a CI, but a CI is not necessarily an asset unless you want to track the monetary value of that. That's correct. Correct awesome awesome so when using assets wh- what do you find helpful in 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 assets is the the whole thing about life cycle of that asset is that where you find people most use the asset
2: i i think that the assets yes from a life cycle standpoint but i also think whenever it comes to especially Looking at different devices, sometimes within ServiceNow, at least in my experience, the assets themselves are better at visualizing what all is on that asset, especially from a workstation standpoint. So you go, you pull up your asset, uh, your workstation and asset, you can see all the software that is assigned to that workstation so that whenever a an employee needs a new workstation, you know what is supposed to go on the new asset as well. And sometimes that's unless you have the right related tables showing in your CIs, you don't always see that. Um, It just kind of depends on how you have it set up. But I feel like asset works better for that is being able to get a a view of what actually exists on the on those individual systems.
1: Right. Right. So, um, one of the things that I think that, that I've seen very helpful is um, when you're bringing in data, you can also bring warranty data and things to that effect. That then set for warranty expiration, you know, you know, with you can run a report that here are my asset, here's when their warranty is going to expire. You can set a three year end of life on them and say, okay, at the end of the, these are these are all three years we need to replace all of these. Uh, and then rotate those out as, as the life cycle of it. Um, I really love the idea of starting it and finishing it in service now. Um, Mm -hmm. And that goes back to something that I think uh, Brent actually created at some point where they were bringing in assets um, and Brent, can you explain a little bit about how that was working with the barcode? Correct. Oh, uh,
4: well, yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Whenever we had uh, in, the, in one of the systems that I worked in, we um, when it came into the warehouse, when it somebody ordered it, we created a asset for that device. When it came into the uh, warehouse, they tied the serial number to the asset. They tied a barcode to that serial number and that asset tag, and then. Throughout its life, every time someone went and visited that device, they would scan the barcode, they'd bring up the, the asset, they'd do their updates on it, whatever they needed to, to make sure, or verify this information also. And then they'd make sure the updates were right. If they needed to take it in maintenance, they'd change the status and so on. Then whenever that device was end of life, they would go through the process of also doing the end of life. So it was burst to death on that device and they'd followed it through uh, once it was retired, that barcode was then retired with it and you just move on to the next one. So hmm. it was great being able to do that kind of stuff.
1: See, that's, and, and that's very cool stuff. I really like that. Um, I have seen, uh, somebody has actually said to me or I've, a couple of times that they don't see a need for the seam to be at all. Um, out of curiosity, what would what would you say to somebody who came to you and said, hey, I just don't see a need for it. I think we can we we can do it um, on a spreadsheet.
2: Um, do you only have one rack of equipment in your data center? I mean, that's what I would ask. I mean, yeah. I guess that's the that's the snarky side of me a little bit.
3: <laughs> um, oh no, no, not
1: at my, all.
2: <laughs> I, I think that my question to them legitimately would be. Have you ever experienced an outage that was preventable? Right. Because of you made a mistake in a change or somebody was doing something at the same time. And how much how much money did your business lose because of that outage?
1: I, I think I would ask how much money it costs you to keep your systems up and running. And when they're down, how much is it cost?
2: Right. And I mean, either way, it's unless you have I have had, I've worked for small companies, I've worked for large companies, and I always found that even in a small company, even that you just don't have enough people, you don't have enough body resources to really know all of the little inner workings that are going on, and it's not mapped out anywhere, so even in small companies, I think that a CMDB would be beneficial, because then you know what's connected to what, and you could bring in a new person and show them hey this is what our systems look like and they'd be like oh okay you know it wouldn't take a bunch of legacy information and no documentation to bring up a new person they could be helpful right away
1: right exactly
3: so you know don't put enough value on some of those things you know um it's you know a lot of times it's in my opinion, very short-sighted from a strategy standpoint to to dismiss the utility of a CMDB. But, you know, there are a great number of people that make decisions based on what's expedient versus what's long-term good for the company. And, you know, in my, and this is me just going off on a soapbox here, but long-term in the state of IT, small business, medium business, large business, that's that thinking is going to have to stop in order for companies to stay profitable. And they're going to have to start thinking about what foundational little steps can we take for long-term benefit rather than just patching today, patching today, patching today. Yeah. Uh, and if you go back it's- and look at it from a security standpoint, as more and more things get online, as more and more IoT projects come online, and um, other than that that stuff, without a CMDB, you have no clue what your exposure is to a vulnerability that comes out.
1: Right. Exactly. You know, and I, and I think it's interesting um, that we're talking about money a lot here because The amount of money ServiceNow can save you, I know it costs, but the amount of it can save you is exponential with what I have found is the more valuable the product um, really is and the, the more value you get out of it. So if you use HR and ITIL and ITOM and all. So if you're using the full suite, you get a lot more value out of the product because all of these things interconnect.
3: I think service now is the epitome of you've got to spend money to make money. (laughs) Yeah. Right?
4: For sure. Yeah. But you're right. Everything is, I mean, all of the modules, well, not all, I should say, because some of them like Project and Agile, some of Agile, I guess, connects, but a lot of the ITSM parts of the modules all connect to CMDB and all kind of rely on the CMDB and asset. Yeah.
1: Absolutely so let's let's do this. Um, we're going to take a quick break, listen to our sponsor, pay the bills a little bit, and in just uh, just a little bit, we'll be right back with you. and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, where do I start? So um, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. Um, we, with the, we took a quick break, and we are back. Um, we're talking about CMDB, and I wanted to uh, talk about um, where do I start? So you have CMDB. You, you, you bought it when you bought ServiceNow. You haven't turned it on. Where do I start? You,
4: if you have discovery, you turn on discovery, and you let it put everything that it finds on the network in there.
2: Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <can't wait> <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay, that was sarcasm. We learned that lesson
2: before, didn't we? I,
4: yes, I've been down that road, argued with someone they wanted to do it, and uh, still cleaning up those messes. But yeah, it's like
3: trying to we'll fill up that. your cup at Niagara Falls. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. <Right. laughs> yeah, I, th- I think. Most, If anybody's ever lived with a discovery integration, that they know what that looks like, and it's, uh, it's not pretty.
1: No, it, it's, it, it is very difficult. I think the most important part to me is, is getting your ducks in a row and understanding what you want, how you want it, and what you want to track, what's valuable to you, getting those conversations done before a single thing is done inside the tool.
2: Yeah, you really need to identify, absolutely identify not just your stakeholders, but your SMEs that know what is outlined in your network and knows what, hey, what are you really going to want to track things against? What kind of, what kind of outages or, you know, incidents do you get? I mean, the, the workstations and the servers, those are your big rocks. I mean, everybody knows that, but what little things do you really want to, be able to track anything against and sometimes getting that information is really challenging because they're like well just populate everything and i'm like "Mm, i don't think you understand what that means
1: (laughs) exactly Exactly. exactly. yes (laughs) i mean do your racy right your racy chart yeah yep make make sure you understand how it works in itil and and so it I guess Kathy, could you kind of explain a little bit for those who don't know what a RACI chart is? What that what that is?
2: Uh, sure. You have a list of people or teams, and you have a list of responsibilities, and you identify who's accountable for it, who supports it, who's a who provides input. And who's re- ultimately responsible for it? Um, I think the C is a consulting right, supports or consulting, and then there's like informational.
4: Yeah. Um, yep.
2: And and so you have these people, and so let's say you identify you, you have a specific server team that supports Windows. Those people are responsible for keeping those systems updated, for applying patches for any type of outages or problems that may come up. So ultimately, they're responsible to make sure the hardware is still running, but the application that sits on that server is owned by somebody else, and somebody else is responsible for that, whether that's a developer or an application specialist. Um, you. Those are really important to be able to identify that information. And I really think that going back to the root question about what really where you start is you start from, I I would think that you start from the ground up. So you pick, a lot of people start with servers because they're the easiest thing to kind of be able to identify. A lot of times you can get your servers from um, either your AD credentials or LDAP and be able to populate that information fairly easily into the system um through either discovery or if there is another tool then that you have i have done it with both um starting there and then kind of building out from there okay well what's on this server what does it connect to and discovery does all that for you really really well sometimes a little too well because it will literally get everything
4: (laughs) yeah but that's configurable so
1: right. it is. And the nice thing I think for, for me is that when you start down this road, once you have that, you have discovery or actually four options, discovery, discovery with support, with additional things like SCCM and uh, other tools that are already used in the, in the, in the organization, including, uh, including AD, things to that. You, you can populate data based on where it's from. Uh, you can manually input data, or you can, or you can just bring data from outside. Um, so, with that being said, um, kind of Brent and, and Kathy, could you talk just a minute uh, about what you see as the most successful?
4: Well, what I've seen successfully, and it, I don't know, I kind of like this approach, um, but it's just because it's easier for, for everybody, is I just say start out simple, like Kathy was saying, uh, start with like your Windows servers and bring in some of the info, and then uh, start pulling in more and that kind of stuff and doing your, your relationships that way you're not overwhelming everybody that's trying to do it. So you just start simple and start pulling things in as you can. Uh, Don't make it real complicated because the people that are going to, the SMEs and the people that are going to be putting this data in or updating and checking, I guess, verifying the data are already full-time jobs. So this is, going to overwhelm them a little bit, so let them do a little bit at a time, and Mm -hmm. I've seen that work real successfully.
2: Yeah, I think that limiting your IP range to not taking in your full network all at once, maybe just picking um, a handful of IPs and seeing what it does first, I I really think that feeding a dev environment, obviously, I, I know some people have not done that, in my experience, they just throw everything into production, and it's like, well, it's there. Okay. Um, but if you can get an idea for what it is that you're going to get, because if you've never experienced populating a CMDB before, you're not going to know until you start populating whatever, what, it, what it is that you may have to cut out of your discovery process. Uh, what you don't want to intake, what you don't want to build configuration items for, how how do you want your... Because it's going to populate both asset management and your configuration management database. So what do you want to be CIs that you don't want to be assets but may fall into the same CI class, which may be a whole different topic (laughs) about CI classes. (laughs) Um, And how how do you want that stuff to look? And really, I think that if you get a a small data set and really see what all gets brought in, some of the stuff you might be able to know right away that you don't want, but there's going to be things like ports, (laughs) uh, network cards that are going to populate. Yep. And if you don't want that data and you're like, well, what am I going to do with a port information? And it might be useful to you. I don't know. But but I, I feel like there's, There's a level of granularity that's there whenever you are discovering data automatically and discovering information in your network that you really have to think, am I going to put anything against this from an incident to a change, or should I put it at a higher level? And that kind of stuff, if you start with a small subset of data, populate it, see what you get, refine, do it again.
4: I agree. I would definitely do all this in a dev system if you can. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're doing service analysis discovery or you're pulling data from any kind of system. I would definitely do small sets, see what comes in just exactly like you said. Mm -hmm. So I agree.
2: (laughs) I've, I've, I've worked with both discovery and another discovery tool that was used to populate the CMDB and honestly, because I had such a bad experience with discovery because it was just turned on. Let's give it, you know, let's give it AD creds. I wasn't there for <laughs> that process, but I, I, I walked in after the fact and was like, I don't even know where to begin to clean this up. Literally this, there's like 750,000 CIs and it really wasn't that big of a company. Um, and I was the only configuration, person, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, so I always felt like my experience with an external discovery source and being able to have more control over what I fed into the system outright worked better, but there was a lot of disadvantages to that as well because I didn't get software and applications. I didn't get all of my relationships. There were some of those that had to be manually built, and that was a real pain because guess who got – then guess who got the job of doing that? It was all the hardware people and they didn't like that. So uh, it was just yet something else that they had to fill their time with. Like they weren't busy enough. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's, I I can see the benefits of both situations where you have a lot of control around something that you're bringing in from an external source, but it's limited in what you're able to get out of it, whereas discovery is going to fill you with a lot of information, and that's great, and it's going to populate both of your major tables in asset and CMDB, but at the same time, you're really going to have to take a good view at it and refine that information down
4: right i i would say that before you turn on discovery you need to learn a lot about discovery because you can throttle that stuff down but a lot of times companies like you had the experience and my first experience with discovery was the implementer just turned it on and pulled in everything now they were instructed to by the upper management but there are a lot of things that you can do with discovery and other imports. But Discovery itself, you can limit what it does pull in, but you need to learn that up front because it does not it's not real intuitive. You have to go in and, and configure that stuff. Now that they have a wizard that helps you, it's a little bit better, but yeah.
2: I, yeah, I agree.
4: And I've actually worked in systems that had Discovery that populated and then had uh, three or four other... Um, scanning softwares on the network that also updated and, uh, the CMDB. So that's always fun when you have multiple uh, Mm -hmm. sources, which one's the primary and all that. So.
1: Brings me back to kind of uh, the next thing, you know, if, what is better, is it better just to use discovery? Is it better to use lots of different discovery tools? Uh, or is it, or is it better to, you know, um, use other discovery tools and and bring it in for lots of other areas and not bring discovery what is what is better i I think
2: it depends on what your whole objective is because if you want to use certain aspects of service now you have to have discovery if you want service mapping which is you know the uh shiny penny thing that every that you know executives like to see they (laughs) they love the view that you get in service mapping because it's like okay Here's how much uh, stuff that I have, but without discovery, you have no service mapping.
1: Right, right. Exactly. Two, uh,
2: the two are too tightly wound up.
4: Yeah, but there's mm-hmm. also, like, like the one client I was talking about, you can do discovery, but then you can also pull key information that you can't get from discovery from these other tools, like um, network equipment. You can pull in a lot of information from a network equipment, but through discovery but sometimes you can get other important information from the network management tool so pulling that in but so you don't want to populate all the data from all of them you just pull in important data that from other systems if you can't i mean you can populate everything but i could see it being best if you pull just the important data that you can't get with other tools from those specific tools
2: Yeah, I think that if you make discovery your source of truth, and you make that your primary, but then you use other tools to supplement that information, then I think that that's really the best way to be able to do it. I I don't think that, like Brent was saying, you can't get everything out of one tool that you would really like to see, but you've got to know how to normalize it. Exactly. Exactly. and, and if, you, if you don't have a way to coalesce very well or your transform maps are not set up great, <laughs> you know, you you got yeah. to know how to coalesce your data to make sure that you don't get a bunch of duplicates. Right. Or bad data.
4: And there are tools out there that help normalize that data for you. And I've used a, a couple of them. They, they work great, but there are ways, because that's extra money, to get from the company and everything there are ways to do it Um, if you're if you have time to concentrate and say this is going to be my golden record and then we're just going to be pulling stuff from these other sources just to populate this one piece of data or whatever (laughs) but
3: what what I'm hearing is that cmdb is something that really needs to be thoughtfully planned out (laughs) and and really carefully designed rather than the default, uh, it of wild, wild west, everybody go try to figure out a solution and implement it. Uh, the ideal. problem that I see from a consulting standpoint is that a lot of times CMDB is being asked to be implemented to fix a lack of planning to begin with. Um, so you, you, have one of those events where, <clears throat> uh, data center goes down and nobody knows what applications are running on the on the network, and so all of a sudden, CMDB becomes a priority when it wasn't before, and then everybody's like, Turn it on, turn discovery on, let's get everything, let's pour, pour everything in. Um, I don't know, maybe that's just my experience with people wanting to implement it, but um, what do you guys think?
4: Wait, it being reactive and not
3: proactive? Uh, it's, <laughs> a, heard. it's a crazy. <laughs> Every IT person I've ever met is extremely strategic.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I see that a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I will say I agree completely. Um, having discovery as your base part and having bringing in additional data from other tool sets that you need, uh, whether it's SolarWinds or Active Directory or anything that you can't get somewhere else, um, is is extremely helpful. Um, I think the quality of data that I see come out of Discovery is better than the than the data that I see come from other systems because when I look at the data coming from other systems, I often see a lot of junk and have to try and find a way to weed those out.
4: Uh, but you get the junk no matter what system, really. I mean, even Discovery can pull in junk if you don't have it configured right. It's the same as any other tool. Uh, if you have SCCM pulling things in, you get – You don't get everything because they have clients that are always, not always, I shouldn't say always broken, but there are a lot of times that the clients are broken. So you're not getting that data. There's Tivoli clients, is Tivoli around anymore? Anyways, (laughs) Tivoli clients that do things. Um, So uh, data is just going to be sort of could be broken. You just have to have someone verifying that data quite a bit.
1: Well, and and I often see that some things are updated manually in other systems and then brought through to ServiceNow through an automated process, and that kind of defeats the purpose. Those are always fun. (laughs) Right? You need to make sure that it is discovering it. And and when I find that we run discovery, it's actually discovering it. Yes, it can bring in some junk, but it's junk that's in the system. It's not junk that somebody put there, right? And so that's tend to be, yeah. be what I what I see pretty often is that I pull in you know SCCM and uh, there's a whole bunch of data that was manually entered or Flexera or anything like that and they're not using the scanning tools on their side properly but they're using it as their source of record but they're all manual inputs. Well, at that point, the data you're bringing in is just is 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 Fairly useless if it's not at least eighty percent, in my opinion, you know, quality. So I, I guess that's kind of what I what I see from pulling from external systems, um, but uh, versus um, pulling from actually discovery. I have a quick question
4: because normally Jason asks the questions, but I'm going to ask one. Sweet. Um, how do you determine what information you want in for each of these CIs? I mean that, that's something we've kind of said, you know, you have to plan, but
2: mm-hmm. you mean the attributes hard. for the CIs themselves?
4: Yeah, the attributes. How how do you see people actually doing that? Or is that a configuration manager should be suggesting that or do the do you see the business suggesting this is what we want to do?
2: I would think that it would be the subject matter experts that would define what it is that they want the configuration items under, e- under each their, under their own individual, like, umbrellas. What do they want that to look like? Um, I think that you universalize it to some degree. Like, you don't want your Windows team and your Linux team saying two different things. Just make your servers look the same. Um, but what do you need from a desktop perspective how what is uh what would that look like and maybe collaborate on that between each different large subset of configuration items um i mean me personally i'm a data junkie so i'm like give me if whatever is on the server i don't care i want to know all of it right.
3: um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that can get way too that can get so cluttered sometimes. So I'm kind of the opposite. I want to minimize and just do really important data unless the data is and the problem is if you if you talk to one person one piece of data is important, you talk to somebody else, something else is important. So it's hard to find a good balance between there, isn't it?
3: I think that you start you do it the same yeah, way but, as I mean, like if, and, uh, the CMDB you start with as little data as you as little attributes as possible and then um, you know expand out from there my my suggestion is to look at if especially if you're looking at it from a service management perspective start with the data that that the service desk needs to troubleshoot problems um, so if I give you a ticket on a certain asset, what data do you have to know about that asset in order to do anything useful with it? That way we're saving them time gathering information, calling the user back, and asking for questions. But that's just from a service desk, service management perspective. But there
1: are some stuff that just comes naturally and easily when you're pulling from server data that you can populate fairly easily and quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to, not, hard to say, well, I can grab that... Like in two seconds, when I'm grabbing everything else, why don't I? And and sometimes it's just boils down to, you know, it's easy, so let's put it in there for now. But I think it the the better act of valor is to take what your business side wants, the the uh, the the experts and the people using it. So you're talking about the server team and the service desk, and you talk about what you want. Um, you talk to desktop and, and you come to kind of an agreement mm-hmm. and that seems to be what works best for me. Um, but it takes a lot of work because they often want such drastically different things.
2: Right. And I, I think that because a lot of times those two areas are dealing with different types of things, um, I, I would get, if it's coming down to what's on a server and what goes in what attributes are populated into a server ci i'm going to give the leverage to the team that's actually supporting the servers and responsible for the servers before i give leverage to a team that's maybe supporting it i mean that co- that goes back to your RASCI chart like who gets more votes because right. the team exactly. that's going to be responsible for it is the team that really needs that information, and there may be a lot of information that's not useful in that. But I, whenever I think of that, I want to know what hardware is on there. I would like you need to know the operating system um, yeah. and all of that kind of stuff, and whatever points are useful to them. Being able to find that information out and put it into a single place that they can see it.
3: Well, and it's not a no, right? It's
1: a, okay, so I'm going to take that into consideration when we're building this out, but I'm going to take in, you know, the a higher level of consideration for what they want, right? So
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: not necessarily a no, but that that does mean that there is some give and take there somewhere. Yeah.
2: Well, and it may take more configuration depending on what type of servers you have to be able to get that information in some areas than others because WMI is better <laughs> at pulling information yes. out of their servers than you're gonna get through um and I just drew a blank.
4: Linux or
2: Yeah, through your through Linux or you un- I mean you're just not gonna get the same quality and uh the all the data values that you're going to get on a non-Windows server as you will on a Windows server because WMI will give you a lot of really good information.
1: Right, exactly.
4: I also suggest to my SMEs and everybody, uh, and this might be just because I admin the tool most of the time and don't want to deal with all of it, but um, they should be monitoring and checking, or no, um, be wanting to collect the information that they're actually going to use. Mm-hmm. Don't put things in there that oh, you know, once every 27 years we might look at this data or whatever. And you know, really think about what you want to actually store in your in your CI and make sure it's stuff that you know is going to be useful, not, you know, you know, every 27 years we have to reboot this machine
3: or whatever I don't know (laughs) off the top of my head but you don't need to know what the color of the server is that's it yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) and the the thing to think about whenever you're making that case is that every piece of data that you put in to a record and service now has the potential to slow it down
4: right and it also (laughs) is something you have to maintain
2: yeah and you know everybody I mean I know that I've not. I don't think I've ever had stellar, you know, instantaneous performance in any ServiceNow instance that I've been in. And a lot of times, it's because the database is huge. (laughs) And yep. And whenever you're going to populate a CMDB, especially with a tool like Discovery, if you don't plan every aspect of what it is that you're going to populate that table with, and all of its subtables, then you are going to significantly impact the performance of your instance
4: okay to go along with that <laughs> yeah. oh, go to go, uh, earlier i i made the the whole joke of just turn discovery on and let scan everything <laughs> uh, the client that i was with that did that they have ended up with 3.5 million ci objects and so yeah their cmdb anytime you click on anything is so low because it's yeah. having to go through all that. That is ridiculous.
2: Yeah, you want to filter on something? Yep. Enjoy that. Well,
1: yeah. <laughs> and you, yeah, and you have to, and here's the thing, you have to know how each one of those fields, and if you don't know what we're talking about when we talk about attributes, think of the the, the form, each field, each each thing about it, so each, the type of software, each thing that, that it's connected to, all those things are attributes, right? And so each one of those, you have to figure out how am I going to populate this? Is it going to be populated automatically through discovery? Or if it's not in discovery, how am I going to populate it? Am I going to have to manually populate this? And, but no matter which way you do it, you need to bait, you need to understand that there is a process to each piece of that data. And you need to understand what the process is to make sure that stays up to date.
4: Yep.
2: And a lot of discovery tools will update things for you, and that's where you you do have to be careful if you're doing some manual intervention of discovered items, because whenever it gets discovered again, it's probably going to override what you manually updated.
4: <laughs> right? Um, yes, it will.
2: So you got to you got to be careful with that. One of the things that I've used in the past um, that was really useful for validation. And it put the onus on a lot of other people that were more experts or had ownership of the systems was the certification tasks. It's, uh, a, little, it's, it's a little gem in service now that I don't know is widely used, but you, you can assign certification tasks to individuals, and we always did it automatically. So whenever a new item was brought into the CMDB, there was a routing based on location, based on type. Or, I'm sorry, class, and it would send to a certain individual, and they would go in there, make sure everything was right. And if there were manual things that had to be updated, like assignment groups, we did approvals based on our CIs, um, and things like that, then they could up, they had a temporary CMDB admin type role that was for the life of the certification task. And once the certification task was closed, they could no longer manually update that CI except, or at least the important fields that we didn't want them to update. Because um, if people updated the approval, te- the approver group, it really rocked my world.
4: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I've <could> seen that.
2: <laughs> uh, I was like, that is a you know, because then you start getting into compliance issues and all of that, but. So we, the, we leveraged those certification tasks, and it was a great way to be able to get people to take some ownership of the configuration items and to not put it all on one person because, you know, there was me and one other person that did all of the CMDB work for the most part, at least full time, um, and it, kinda, it spread the wealth as far as, hey, you know, you had 10 new servers populate this week. Here's your certification tasks. You do two of them a day, and then you're done. And it doesn't take that long to go in there and kind of populate. Here's what we got, um, or change anything that you might want to change, and then and then you're done. And that's a really great way to be able to validate your data and kind of give it to people that know what the data should look like.
1: Right? Exactly. <coughs> So, absolutely. So the question now I have is, we've got the we've got the data in there, we've got it all figured out. Um, we've we have now got a solid CMDB. Uh, we're going to stop, and this is great. We're done. We don't ever have to look at it again, right?
3: Exactly. No. no wait, no, that's again. not right. <laughs> at least not until everybody leaves and a whole new team is in. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to I'm figure out what's going on. <laughs>
2: Until you get four million CI's, and then you're like, "Why is the system so slow?" (laughs) Exactly. Hey,
4: been there. No, Um, no. There has to be. It's a living, living document. I mean, not living document, but a living database. That data has to be updated and verified on, I don't know, some set interval. I can't say there's a defined one because each company could be different. So you'd have to define uh, that and do spot checks and stuff like that. Stuff. I. It's a living database that needs to be updated.
3: I think and it, and it another concept be- that you probably need to, or I don't know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but a CI should have a life cycle. Correct. Yes and and yeah, so you man. should you should when you're setting it up you should also be planning what the life cycle for each type of ci is going to be <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean it's really important and and what is equally important I think is that you just understand that it's a continual improvement kind of thing, right? That you're never going to be done. Don't ever think you're done because when you think you're done, you're not and you'll will, you will regret thinking you're done. It's a it is a continual project. You're always going to need to adjust, add, do something different, make sure everything is working, verify things and that's why you need a cmdb manager,
2: at least one.
1: At least one. That'd be uh, nice.
2: Depending on the size of your cmdb, I mean, you can't have one person managing a million CIs. Uh, not without some type of committee.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
2: I, I, I mean, I, I've been there, so it's it's uh, it's a lot for one person to undertake as a, a cmdb on their own. Um, I think that having a number of people that are knowledgeable of architecture um, are, is it really good to be able to do that or at least having enough people that ded- have dedicated time to a CMDB to where you can allocate, you know, 160 hours of personnel a week. Uh, I, I remember whenever a, a previous company I was at, whenever they were first beginning their CMDB process, they brought in a consulting company and a consultant, their consulting company said, well, you need at least four people. They never had four people um, for just the CMDB and they had one. And then whenever we reorged, they had two and the second was me. Um, <laughs> and they, uh, but, you know, that's how, that's that was the recommendation from the experts. And it never, people just don't think that, well, it doesn't really take that much. I mean, it really does. This maintaining a quality CMDB is a lot of work.
1: Yeah, people right. don't understand. They also, here's the other thing that I don't understand about a lot of that is that they don't listen to the people that they hire as experts. So, like, okay, so listen here, you need this. And they're like, uh, we're going to take half that.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: it it's like no, no, no. You need what you need, and you need it for a reason. You need it for quality. If you want quality, you need to be able to properly staff your your company. And and that a lot
4: of thing. well, a lot of companies don't see that that until something has really gone wrong, and they're like, okay, well, where's this data? Well, you didn't maintain it, and you're seeing to be so. Get the white well, get your whiteboard out, and start trying to discover it now
2: yeah it kind of goes back to what randy had mentioned earlier about you know urgency in as a reactive sense whenever a company is like well we didn't really put the money behind the cmbb that we should have or we didn't think it was important but now that we've had a major event then suddenly it's super important and we need it yesterday
3: right yeah We live by tomorrow morning at seven yeah, yeah. Right. and then, <laughs> then two weeks
1: later they forget about it and they don't right, want to do yeah. it anymore. Yeah,
3: two weeks later there's another disaster and it's all moved over to something else.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, and I and, and the thing is, I find that it happens often when they get fined by government agencies because they 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 didn't live up to some sort of uh, criteria that is given in either HIPAA or you know. Um, uh, you know, one of the other laws that govern IT and govern other types of medical and and, and financial information and, and the different kinds of laws that pertain to that. Um, and they get fined and then they go, we got to fix this. And they don't know what to do.
2: The only good thing that comes from that is that anytime that you pull that information out again, it's like, well, but that's a, that's a insert whatever compliance you want to insert here, you know, and then you kind of have a, <laughs> a little bit of a cushion of a, a there. But, you know, all of it comes down to the business, and this is my experience, but the business sees IT as they don't see us as enablers. They see us as cost centers. And yes, we are, but we don't provide, they don't see us as providing profitability or enabling the user base to be able to be more efficient at their job. And I feel like IT needs to be seen as not just some massive cost in, you're not going to live without tech, this right, is, right. it's 2020, every, you're, you're sending people home or, I mean, if it weren't for tech, then we're doing, we're recording this in the middle of quarantine.
1: Yeah, right. right. <laughs> uh,
2: and if, it, if yep. it weren't for tech, then we wouldn't be able to do what it is that a lot of us are doing right now. We wouldn't be able to work from home. We would, right. the, all these companies would be losing tons of money or wouldn't be able to send their employees home to be safe uh, because- You don't invest in tech. If you invest in tech, then you get the best opportunities for your employees to be able to do their job, to be able to be the most efficient that they possibly can be. And that's why whenever we say things like well, you need four people to manage your CMDB. How efficient do you want your hardware people to be? How efficient do you want your help desk people to be? And the, the reason why we tell you that is because you can't have one person spending 40 or 50 hours a week managing this many configuration items. If you put the money into it now, you will get the return on it long-term and you'll have quality data. Absolutely.
1: And, and it's, and it's crazy to me because we constantly see the same thing over and over and over that they look at service now and they go, Oh, well, that's going to cost money. It's, it's, you know, software asset management, you know, or one of these other programs, every time you put something else in your instance and put something else and connect it to everything else, your value of the service now goes up. But the efficiency of your employees and the amount of time you save them is huge service now makes work easier for everybody and that saves time and time is money. You want to save your company money, save them time. You want to save them time, go get service now.
3: Well, there's, we, There's definitely a responsibility on upper management and and the C-suite and everything to stop being spastic when it comes to goals for IT and for things like that and to seeing IT as as a cost center. There's also a responsibility on the IT side of things. IT people need to spend some time learning what's important as far as metrics go to the business and what the business's strategic goals are doing. And then if they can pull the information out of ServiceNow or their other tool that shows... This is contributing to that metric. Um, then everybody all of a sudden starts talking the same language, and people can maybe see things um, as okay. This is a this is a cooperative effort, rather than oh my gosh, we still got to pay those IT people to 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 do all this stuff, and it just costs so much money. Um, right. You know, I th- so from both sides, I think that there's a responsibility. This is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, how much can you split into this? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Rabbit trail.
4: <laughs>
2: but, <laughs> but, but you're so not perhaps. wrong. <laughs> I, but,
4: but I yeah. agree with all of it. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're absolutely
2: right. And that's been one of the biggest caveats with um, IT for a long time is that they don't speak the same language as the business. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, and the business doesn't speak the same language as IT, and somebody's got to bridge that gap. Yeah. But
2: yeah. yeah, I mean, but the business is the one that signs the checks. That's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, that's right. so you've going to be the one that bridges the gap. Is what she's saying. <laughs> you know, I,
2: I think that's where you get, uh, you know, you get people, that, and I love that role. I mean, that's whenever I came into my new role, they're like, "Well, what is it that you really want to do?" Is that I would love to get into enterprise architecture because that's the people that bridge that gap. Yeah. They have to understand. The, the business side, and they have to know the technical side, and they have to know how to speak the language in both worlds, right. and I love that role, <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do to know how to speak to the business side and to speak the technical language,
1: and it seems like the more somebody knows on the technical side, I know this is going to sound horrible, um, but it it is it is harder for them to explain it in the language that the business people can understand. So the the in the more time that you've spent doing leadership and management stuff, it, it becomes um, and not been in IT, IT. It's hard to speak that language. I think the the balance is somebody. You know, like, honestly, like any of us on the call, we've all been both leadership and technical skill stuff. Um, and so we understand both sides very well. So it's hard, but it is hard to find people, honestly, like us, like, like you and Brent and Justin and Randy, you guys are all extremely accomplished in what you, in your field and what you do. So, you know, that's, that's the thing is that the people
3: like you guys are not easy to find. Well, that's you know shameless plug here for, but that's the reason why if people ask me why do you have a, an IT company and a leadership development company both? Why are you running those two different seemingly different things? This is the reason because if a company can get its strategy and its technical implementation aligned with the business principles, then it can save so much money, increase efficiency, increase productivity, increase profit, Um, You know, I mean, just everything flows better if the communication is there. And somebody's got to teach people how to do that communication.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: All right, guys. Awesome. This was fun. I think we still got a lot of CMDB topics to to talk about. We've talked a lot of horror stories about CMDB on this as well. And I think that, you know, when you go back to your original question about people saying, why do I need a CMDB or a CMDB is not important. Uh, some, from my experience, I've seen people, the reaction is they've heard these horror stories and they've heard how bad things can be. So before we sign off, the (laughs) final question, um, can CMDB be something that you implement without killing everybody and get benefit from incrementally in small steps?
1: It, it's hard. I would, you know, I
4: would say yes, plan. you can. Um, even with the the disaster stories that I've been talking about, they have had successes that have gone along with their C- CMDB. The one with 3.5 million, they still have a great um, – Application and server and data center CMDB. They just need to work on the other stuff. So it it, it can be successful. And, yeah, we've had some disaster stories talking about. But, yeah, we've there are. We've also had some successes. In
1: I've seen it done right where they've done the legwork work to begin with and they've been identified and they've met with all of the different parties and they've figured it out what's needed. Uh, matter of fact, working with somebody now that they seem to have been doing that all correctly And now that's a matter of where do we get the data, how to get it in there. And when it's done, even though it won't be perfect, it still will be good.
2: I, I agree. I think that you can have a lot of success, but I think ultimately you have to be realistic. You can't go into a new CMDB project You've got to look and say, well, we're going to have it live in three months or six months. You've got to look at your staffing. You've got to look at how much data you have to intake. Uh, and by that, I mean like roughly, how many data centers do you have, How many nodes within those data centers? Just kind of get a general idea. Um, and then and then start thinking about a really actual realistic plan about how you're going to go about it and not expect miracles to happen in a month or two or even six, maybe even a year, depending on how big of an organization you are. If if you go into it with realistic expectations and you create a good plan, you can have a successful CMDB implementation regardless of I mean, ideally, if you have a ton of data centers or you have a lot of nodes, you have a substantial amount of staff that you can put around it. But if you're going to put one person there, then understand that they're, you know, it's just going to take longer.
3: So, I guess, is there value that you derive, though, along that journey, that year-long journey or two-year-long journey? Before you go to that, just... I mean, one thing to keep in mind is it's not just the ServiceNow team when you're talking about this, right? Absolutely. The infrastructure, or whatever you would consider, the people who, uh, not only the server admins, but whoever is doing the past, you know, the service accounts, you know, you gotta you gotta get access to. This. So it's not it's not like it's just going to be a one uh, one part of the ServiceNow team can not deploy this. It's going to require cooperation from whatever departments you're wishing to learn more about their machines. Yep.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So with that being said, guys, um, I really appreciate everybody being on the call. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to cover before we get out of here?
3: I'm glad Kathy came. That's, that's what I'm
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. I really appreciate it.
2: No problem. I mean, I, I, uh, I wouldn't want to do it again personally i mean oh, thanks. Right. no 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 not this i mean like I, i'm sorry it has been a really long day i had to start i was saying earlier that i haven't had coffee for like 2 months and then i was on a call with one of the managers over our team at around 11 and i couldn't string together two thoughts and i was like if i'm going to do this podcast tonight i really have got to have some coffee and so it's been a, it's been a bit of a day um, so what I meant by that was that I wouldn't want to do an ITOM thing again. <laughs> Not, like as a job, I love doing this though. And I love talking about it because I think that it's there. I, I do have a lot of experience in it and I've seen the good and I've seen the bad and I've seen, um, a lot of different things. And I, I do love the idea of the CMDB, but I wouldn't want to manage one every single day ever again. Cause it's, it is a little tedious. Um, mm-hmm. But I love
4: talking about it. It takes a a really dedicated, special, very involved, that enjoys it kind of person. Yeah, a person that really enjoys it, right?
2: Yeah. It's a... Oh. And I, I did enjoy it for, <laughs> I enjoyed fun. it for a long time, but it was, it just, it is a grind. It gets to you after, I think it, it has a potential to get to you after a while. So, and it did get to me.
1: <laughs> but really worthwhile, right? I mean, in the end.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. Really I mean, it was, worthwhile. it was a great experience because like Brent said earlier, the CMDB really is the foundation of the. Of at least the ITSM platform portion, I think it. I think it expands way into the other applications that you can stack on top of ServiceNow and the ITSM and the now platform. But um, you know, the CMDB is really. I when I was managing it, I called it the backbone of ServiceNow. I said, without a quality CMDB, you're not going to have quality data anywhere else, and so I've got to have this data.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> business insight, leadership has to have this tool. It makes everything better across the board, but it is hard and it is hard to do. And it's hard to maintain, uh, but it is, but it is very much worth while.
2: Yes. agreed.
1: agree. All right, guys. Well, um, again, everybody think, thanks for joining us. Uh, we really enjoy, uh, getting here and talking to everybody and then, and having you guys listen. Remember, You know, get us up on LinkedIn, send us messages. Let us know if you have questions. We are going to cover this again in another podcast. Except we're going to go deeper into some of the more technical stuff. So please send us your questions. Let us know what you want to hear, what you want to do. um, And we will do everything we can uh, to help you in any way we can. So LinkedIn, message us. Um, we are putting out a video coming up soon that uh, has audio and video where we're explaining an integration. We'll look at that up and uh, YouTube as well. Um, but I appreciate everybody being here. Um, Brent, Justin, Kathy, uh, Randy, YouTube. Uh, thank you guys so much.
3: Oh, thank you being
2: thank you here. thank you thanks
3: for Been having fun. me Group hug. Yes, yes, group hug, group hug. Oh,
2: that's for social distancing. Yeah.
3: That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right,
2: thank you. Thank you.
0: We want to thank our flagship sponsor for this show, the Sharpstone Group LLC. Sharpstone is your source for all of your service now needs implementation development administration strategy and architecture contact the sharpstone group today at info at or 405-594-0100 we'd love to answer your questions or have you on the show contact us at service sharp at sharpstonegroup.com or find our linkedin info in the notes additional sponsorship opportunities
3: are available